Are you engaging members of your congregation that have law enforcement experience, military experience? It's not just strapping on a gun, though, that's going to protect you. You have to be trained, right? If you came up behind me, you could not disarm me. The training seems to be so important. Vetting them to begin with is critical. We're going to help you through that process. And now, the safety zone. Welcome, folks, to another episode of The Safety Zone, and I'm here with Mike McCarty. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. So, Mike, we're going to talk today about a very sad and uh, tragic news item that, that came out this weekend, this last weekend, uh, about the pastor that in East Texas who came upon the intruder that was hiding out in the, his church and Unfortunately, the intruder was able to apprehend the pastor's gun and shot and killed him, and along with wounding a couple other people. And and just start out to just say, we, of course, our thoughts and prayers are with the family. Just a horrible circumstance. And for this dear pastor, his congregation, and of course his wife, we do lift them up in um, prayer and and do think of them. We just want to talk today, of, Mike. Is there some takeaways? for pastors, for churches from this this horrible event that we can use to maybe shed some light and bring some good out of a very bad situation? Yeah. Well, you know, I would say right at the start, two things come to mind. One, just 100% on this person that shot and killed this pastor. But what we've done in law enforcement for decades, you know, I come out of a background working in domestic violence. And one of the ways we were able to reduce domestic murders in the city of Nashville, Tennessee, is when we had a domestic homicide, we did what we call a fatality review, right? We looked at every aspect of that case. Were there things we could learn so in the future we could prevent this from happening again? And and that's the same approach we're taking here. We are not at all making any kind of judgment about what happened here. We're not making any judgment about whether or not pastors should or should not have guns. That That is not the debate that we are starting right here. What we are talking about are things that we may want to think about as church, as church leaders, if we're contemplating whether or not we are armed, whether our staff is armed, if they're currently armed. We just want to talk about lessons, things to think about. We do this in policing. I come out of a policing background. We are constantly training. We are constantly learning. We are constantly trying to get better at what we do. And that's really our approach here. And I think there are some lessons we can probably look at and say, let's think about some of these things. If I am, in fact, going to carry a weapon, then what are some lessons? What are some things I need to think through in terms of making sure that I am protecting myself, protecting the church and not creating more risk? Right. And in this case, a good thing was that the church, I believe they were streaming. So it was it was the pastor, his wife, and I, I believe another person or so that were in the church. So the, the congregation wasn't there, even though it was a Sunday morning. But that the intruder, fill us in about that. I mean, I know he found him in the bathroom and I believe he was unarmed, correct? Yeah, my understanding. And again, I am gathering all my information from the media. So right. you know, I also put that in perspective because this is an evolving case. And until law enforcement starts to release some information, we're kind of going on what we learned from 
maybe somewhat unverified sources. Right. But my understanding of the perpetrator, he had been shooting out of a vehicle, high-speed pursuit, had fled the vehicle, and was hiding in the church. So one thing I would want to know was the church unlocked. I grew up in a small community, probably very similar mm-hmm. to this community. And I know growing up, and I'll be honest, I bet even yet today, you know, my community was so small, we only had three churches. And our church was always unlocked. All churches were unlocked in our small town. And how do I know that? Because as a kid, we play hide and seek. A lot of times if I was really trying to hide out, I just ran inside the church and found a place to hide because the doors were always open and unlocked. So where the doors have a place of refuge, right? Place of refuge. I mean, there's a certain, there was always a, especially in small town America, just a certain aspect of the church as a place of refuge and, and locking the doors probably, you know, seemed like it didn't fit in with that. I know many pastors that, like you said, would leave the doors unlocked. So trying to create a path of a little more resistance. Could he still have entered the church if it was locked? Absolutely. Maybe there would have been more evidence. My guess is very surprised. The pastor enters a bathroom and finds this man in there. I mean, that, that that's a... You know, to be surprised, it's not unlike walking into your home. You know, as listeners, you think about coming into your home and there's no evidence that anybody has broken into your home right? Uh, and you walk in and confront somebody, those are very scary situations. And I know as a police officer, when people would call in and say, hey, I got a door that's been kicked in. I got a window that's broken. Don't enter. Stay out of that house. We're on our way. We'll go in. We'll clear the house, make sure everything's okay before you enter. So yes, he finds him uh, apparently in a bathroom unarmed because he, I believe, had a shotgun that was left in the vehicle he was shooting out of. But another thing to think about if you're carrying and you're not a law enforcement or former law enforcement, I can tell you every single time I walked into a home or a call, I knew I was bringing a firearm with me. Mm-hmm. There was always going to be one gun. 26 weeks of police training before I was released from the academy was drilled into my conscience that you there is always one firearm Every time you enter anybody's home or residence or business because you're bringing it. So your number one goal is I have to maintain control and custody of my weapon. And we had training. We had tactical training. 26 weeks to begin with. We had like 80 hours of firearms training. But we had physical or defensive tactics training every week for a certain amount of hours. And some of that training was just on completely focused on weapon retention. Are we getting that kind of training if I am states where I am passing legislation where school employees can carry weapons? Not necessarily sure that's happening. I can also tell you in terms of maintaining weapons, I went into plain clothes. I was a detective for many years. Things change significantly when you become plain clothes. As a uniform police officer, I had high level, in my days, they were called like level three holsters, which meant they were constructed. If you came up behind me, you could not disarm me unless you were extremely well trained and understood the holster. You could not pull it back, which meant for me, I had to create muscle memory every day. When I put my uniform on, 
to remove my weapon three or four times to yes. create muscle memory because it wasn't, you didn't pull it straight out because it was locked in. You had to push and pull forward to release it from the holster. Mm. But when I go to plain clothes, those holsters change. Or I'm sitting at lunch about a year ago before the pandemic. And as I'm eating pizza, I see an attorney in our community walk into the restaurant. He's leaning across the bar. He's so proud of the firearm on his side. And I'm thinking that is the most ignorant thing I have ever seen. I, the two other police officers, my father, who was retired and another police officer who provided security for our governor for years and ran that detail who I was having lunch with, we all three looked over there and I said, I could disarm I could take his life in a split second. He would never know what hit him because we all looked at that and said, you're talking bravado with the way you're carrying that weapon in a little pancake holster, but I could disarm you in a second. You would have no idea what hit you. Mm -hmm. And so just understanding the whole idea that I'm bringing a weapon into an environment and being able to maintain that weapon in the event something happens, that's easier said than done. And clearly in this tragic, tragic case right here, not being able to maintain that weapon and that weapon was taken away from him and used against him. And I think, and I'm sure, whether it's a pastor or anyone that, that carries, has a sincere desire in the sense of, of protection, etc., and, and certainly understand that. But you raise really key points that it's not just strapping on a gun, though, that's going to protect you. You have to be trained, right? You have to know... Not only what you just said is, is enlightening, because it's not only being trained and knowing how yourself to use the weapon, but in, in that respect, but it, even retaining it. In this case, too, I don't know if I, I believe the pastor was older and I believe the, the intruder was a younger man. So I don't know if the overpowering, but there's a lesson there, right? In the sense of don't take it for granted because you're armed, that that's all you need, right? For to protect yourself or your people. Right. Especially if you're interacting with somebody, hey, you don't know who this person is. They had no idea what this young man had been doing and why he was hiding there. Right. And so that's exactly right. Understanding that just simply having a weapon doesn't mean somebody's going to comply. Normal people may comply, right? You point a gun at me, woo, gotcha. Right. Hands up. Right. Don't shoot me. I understand in this world we live in today, the chaos, the violence that's erupting in the United States. I mean, we're seeing a proliferation in background checks and gun purchases. We're seeing it in places where <laughs> we've never seen it before. In states that you thought, wow, I would never think that they would be buying weapons in this state. I get it. Because I'm telling you what, I carry. And so when I say I'm not making a political statement here about for or against, right. um, I for many years did not, but I've started to carry again. But I understand what I'm doing when I bring a weapon with me. And so understanding the training that most people, civilians will get is static target training at a firing range. That is not any kind of tactical training, how to maintain, how to control the weapon. Spacing. The first thing that I would talk to anybody that is carrying, looking to carry, bringing to school, to work, to church, spacing. I always and every police officer 
will maintain a tactical space. I want space between me and anybody I'm talking to that I don't know who they are because I've got to have time to react. And I think the general public doesn't understand 10 feet even how quickly somebody can overtake me in a short space of five or six feet. And so a lot of times you'll see most of us, our only interaction with law enforcement is probably going to be a traffic stop. And how many times I've told people, you know, you're like, man, that police officer was rude. And I said, what do you mean by rude? Were they rude because they were kind of jerkish? That's rude. Or were they just very professional, curt to the point? Because I said, let me, let me share a perspective for a police officer. I'm driving down the street. I see a taillight out on a car. I see an expired license plate. I run it. I get some information, but I really don't know much about you. And now all of a sudden I going to pull you over. I, as the police officer, am approaching your vehicle and I do it in a very tactical way. I know how to keep you from seeing me as much as I possibly can till I get to the vehicle. I know if I tuck in tight to your car as I approach, you've got to make a lot more movement toward me to get me to shoot me. All of this is going through my head as I'm approaching your vehicle. You might be sitting there going, oh my gosh, what, what, what do pull me over for, or you might be sitting there going, oh my gosh, he's pulled me over. He knows I'm wanted out of Oregon for X, Y, and Z. I don't know that. I think I am stopping you for a taillight. I'm making some assumptions. I'm going to be safe. And so we don't know who we're dealing with. And so the spacing, the, the approach, these are things that you have to be very cognizant of in, in terms of understanding how quickly somebody can overpower you, can disarm you. And then in this case, oh my gosh, take this pastor's life who was trying to protect his flock. I guarantee you, right? His intention, his intention right. was to keep yeah. his church safe and how this was turned on him and used against him. And is there a role? So for people that are listening, especially for, for pastors, leaders that, that might carry or that you know contemplating it, what are some some takeaways here, including maybe in, in knowing how to diffuse the situation? Should the pastor have pointed and told him to stop? Or I, I mean, I don't know that. I, that's why I'm asking you. But what would be your advice in the sense of these kind of situations? You can always retreat. Sometimes I think we get in, and, and this is something that happens with police as well. Sometimes you get into a situation and they're afraid to retreat. Sometimes you've got to retreat. I served high target targeted felony warrants as part of a detective unit I was involved in. There were times you got into a situation where you needed to retreat. I'm not saying give in. This is police. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we gave in. I'm saying we retreated and we called in tactical experts, SWAT teams to then deal with this threat because the threat was more than we were equipped to handle as a first-line police officer. I would say the same thing if I'm a school, if I'm a church, if I'm a business. There comes a point where you've made an interaction. Don't be afraid to retreat. It is not your duty to arrest this person. Back out of it. Be a good witness. You know, you've got a snapshot in your head of what they look like and who they are. Get out of the situation, call 911, and let the police then deal with this. And so don't be afraid 
don't be afraid to retreat. Retreating sometimes, you know, oh, I'm afraid I'm, I'm being a wimp. No, you're not. That's the smart thing to do is just to back out and call police and let them take care of the situation. It's not our job as a civilian to take them into custody. Right. So to apprehend them versus, again, diffusing the situation. Mike, I I think it's in this day and age, it's just um, it's a difficult situation. I mean, but, but to me, it, it, the training seems to be so important and not just training on how to use a firearm, but just in general training churches and, and leaders and pastors how to secure their church, how to to protect their flock and and at the same time be a to, to be a secure place but to also maintain that sense of peace and that sense of refuge. Sometimes people aren't armed, maybe they're troubled and, and knowing how to maybe de-escalate. And other times, of course, you know, we have other people with, with not good intentions. So you have a training program for churches that regarding how to do all of this. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We're rolling out what we call the learning zone and there will be training for volunteers. There's going to be training for staff and then security teams. And so you're going to start to see, we're not going to be doing tactical training. I would say, reach out to your local law enforcement agencies. A lot of them will run different kinds of civilian courses. And if they don't, you could probably convince them this is a very important service to provide to the community. Many of them do this. And so they could provide a lot of training on the tactical aspects, right? Tactical firearm training and those kinds of... We're going to talk... And train a lot on de-escalation, you know, how you talk, how you diffuse. I'm going to tell you what, uh, I had weapons, I had firearms, my mouth was my greatest asset. Talk, 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 de-escalate, de-escalate. But if you're dealing with mental health, if you're dealing with certain individuals, which you don't know when you walk into a bathroom who you're dealing with, retreat because de-escalation may not work in that situation because you're not dealing with a rational mind. And in this case, somebody who's actually fleeing from police has a lot at stake here to get away. And so we are rolling out a lot of training. There's things I would say in terms of the security teams that we're going to focus on is who's on the security team? How well trained is your security team? Are you engaging members of your congregation that have a law enforcement experience, military experience that have that type of experience that need to be part of the team? You're also going to want to have crisis people. You're going to want to have a fire or EMS personnel as part of your security team. We had an incident in our church uh, pre-pandemic, and I'm part of the security team. I did not seek out to be part of the security team. They sought me out. And I would say right there, part of the training we're going to go through, not everybody fits on your security team. There's a whole, whole lot of people that want to be in security and policing and have no business being there. So vetting them to begin with is critical. And we're going to help you through that process. But once you join that security team, One of our security team members is current law enforcement, and he's a detective. And so he stops me one day and he goes, man, did you see the guy in church? I said, no, I didn't see him where I was positioned. We kind of position ourselves in different places where we sit because some of us can watch doors, others closer to the pastor. And I'm thinking through how do we protect the flock? How do we protect the pastor? All these different things within the, you know, I'm a small church, right? I'm a couple hundred people on a Sunday physically in service. But he said a young 
probably 19, 20, 21 year old. He said, I look over and he's sitting two rows back from the pastor. He pulls out a knife. I'm in a rural community. Okay. People pull out knives, clean their fingernails and sharpen their pencil or so even he isn't freaking out over a guy pulling a knife out, but he's playing with it. And he Mm -hmm. goes, man, the longer this went on, I'm tunneled. I'm looking. Because he said, I'm, I'm trying to decide, do I get up and casually step in behind him and say, hey, I need to talk to you outside? Because here's the honest truth, Melinda. He knew exactly what I knew if I was sitting there and saw this. He was eight feet from the pastor, security guy on the team sitting there. He's 20 feet away. He said, with a knife, he stabs the pastor multiple times before I ever get there. And so just the training and intuition and understanding of when you see things that are outside of norm, something's not right. How do you deal with it? Fortunately, this guy put it away, put it back in his pocket. He said, of course, I heard nothing that happened in the service because I watched him. And I said, he said, I don't even think I blinked for the next 20 minutes until the service was over. But the training is so critical to the the protection and understanding who in the church is armed, who's not. We saw a case, right, in the last, I don't know, was it in the last year, uh, a shooting in Texas where a... Sutherland? Yes, where the member... Uh, no, no, where the member of the congregation actually shot the assailant that come in armed. He come running into the church and armed, and one of the members shot and killed him. So that's a perfect example of somebody that was well-trained, highly trained, because there's another part of training that we haven't talked about. It's how do you react under pressure? I can stand all day at a firearm range, bing, 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 fire, fire, fire. We talk about this with police all the time. You can put police through all of this training, 26 weeks in a police academy. We we try to create stress that replicates what you're going to feel on the street. But you know what? I always know as a police recruit, I'm going home at the end of the day. No matter how scary they make the training, I know it's not real. So you Mm -hmm. really never know how a police officer is going to respond until you dip them in hot water. And so what I mean by that is some freeze I've worked with officers that freeze, and that is scary yeah. because I need you right now. And Right. I was going to say, especially if you're backup, right? Yes. And you're locked up. So yeah. there's an aspect of the training is understanding you don't really know how somebody's going to react unless they've been in an environment where they've been tested like that. So mm-hmm. it's just a lot to think about. It is because reacting, I mean, it can go in this case, being this uh, episode that you were talking about at the church, that in that instance, it, it went well. Yes. But sometimes it's the opposite. And it, it you know, you don't want to... <laughs> You don't want to have a shooting zone in the in the church. So having the it like you said, it's not so much about having a gun or not having a gun, but it's who who has the gun. Maybe is the first question, and second, it's the it's being trained. It's it's knowing what to do, and and you know for pastors that spiritually that don't feel comfortable having a gun, hey, that's totally understandable. Yeah. But you have someone in your congregation that handles the security that takes that off yep, your hands, exactly. and if you're a pastor that that feels strongly mm-hmm. about that, again, it's 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 really all about the training and the the ability in knowing how to react and and diffuse and. 
our hearts go out to to this church, to this congregation, and and of course to the pastor's family. And we we know his his intentions were good, and so we do lift them up in prayer. And but we do also invite pastors that are listening. If you have questions, if you would like to know more about training and and having the security set up in your church in, in the appropriate manner, um, please do reach out. Mike, where should they reach out to? Yeah, I mean, you can go right on our website, safehiringsolutions.com. We have a safe ministry section. They can click on, they can find emails, phone numbers, chat with us. We got a whole team. We got a team that have come out of Secret Service, different aspects of law enforcement. We're very prevention-based, but we yes. also understand how to react. Yes. And training is ongoing. It's not a one and done. You don't just go through training one time and never do that again. This should be a continuous process of training, 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 because that is really the core of keeping our congregations, our schools, whatever we're trying to do, that is the core of keeping our organization safe is the ongoing training. Yes. Well, thank you, Mike, for this episode. And again, for those that are listening, please just reach out to Safe Iron Solutions. If you have questions, if you have needs to for training, be happy to help you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Safe Ministry Solutions, which offers a 360 security solution that keeps your church, your congregation, and your ministry safe.